Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. I want to invite you this morning to join me in the book of Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter. We're going to give our attention to verses 15 through 22. And the title of the message is, The Prophet Who Is Like and Greater Than Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through verse 22. In light of what Dr. Robinson shared a moment ago, I did not realize that this text would even be more relevant uh, to our time of worship uh, this morning. Hear what Moses wrote in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, uh, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord? If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. As we walk through the holy pages of the Bible, we discover an unfolding portrait of God's coming Messiah. It grows in beauty and detail as we walk our way step by step uh, through the Bible. Uh, My colleague, former colleague Dan Block says, although complex, the Old Testament picture of the Messiah gains in clarity and focus over time. In other words, it begins broadly, but it narrowly and progressively becomes smaller, more specific, and more precise, so that finally we have really a, a magnificent portrait of the coming one that God has promised will be our deliverer. It actually goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, what we call the proto-evangelium, the first preaching of the gospel, where there God says, from the seed of the woman, I will send a deliverer. Oh, his heel will be bruised, but he will crush the head of the evil one of the serpent. Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 speaks of that fulfillment in the work of Christ on the cross. Later, we discover in chapter 12 that this coming deliverer will be uh, of the seed of Abraham. Later, we learn in Genesis chapter 49 that he will also come from the tribe of Judah. We then learn in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 11 that he will be a descendant of David. 
Psalm 2 informs us that he will be the anointed one of Yahweh. And Psalm 16 and Psalm 22 tells us that though he will die, he will be delivered out of death by his God. In Psalm 110, we are informed that he will be a great king priest after the unique order of Melchizedek. Isaiah 7:14 tells us he will be virgin born. Isaiah 53 tells us he will be the suffering servant of the Lord. Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14 tell us he will become as the son of man who comes and takes a kingdom from the ancient of days, a kingdom that will endure for all generations. Bethlehem is his birthplace according to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, and we learn from Zechariah chapter 12 that he is the pierced one who will cleanse from sin and uncleanness all those who follow him in faith. You put all this together and it almost takes your breath away. It's overwhelming, this magnificent portrait that we receive concerning God's Messiah. It is very precise. It is very particular. It's like a an array of magnificent pearls that are now strung together in a necklace, and you cannot help but be drawn to each one individually, wanting to ask, well, what do I learn about this wonderful Messiah from this particular passage? And so what I want to do this morning is take a passage that is not all that often preached from, but it certainly had significance for the New Testament. We find it referred to in John chapter 1 twice, also in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 7. And I want us to see for just a moment this morning, what is this prophet like, whom the Bible says is like Moses, but is also a prophet greater than Moses. Now, let's get the context. Uh, The Hebrews are about to enter into the land. Verse 9 of this same chapter called it the land that the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, this was not something that they earned. It is not something that they were able to achieve on their own. But God, in amazing grace, has delivered them out of Egypt through the Exodus. And now God, in amazing grace, is giving them this land. And yet God knows that as they enter into this land, there are going to be great dangers surrounding them because of the false religions that are there, as well as the false prophets. In fact, he tells them in verses 9 through 14 that they will be confronted with all sorts of evil. You see the word there, abominable practices, practices that God says you must not be seduced into following. And so how is God going to spare them and how is God going to protect them? And the answer is God in grace is going to raise up a prophet. Literally, it probably is best understood collectively. He is going to raise up for them a series of prophets. They will be there to guide them and to direct them and they are to hear the words of these prophets and they are to obey the words of these prophets. And yet eventually in the history of Israel, they began to look for a prophet. No better. They begin to look for the prophet who would be the prophet par excellence of the prophet who would fulfill perfectly this promise that you find in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Some believed that it would be the announcer of the Messiah, but others came to believe, and I think the New Testament affirms that this prophet who is like but greater than Moses would indeed be the Messiah himself. Indeed, I believe the New Testament testifies to the fulfillment of this in the person and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend Mark Dever preached an entire sermon on the book of Deuteronomy. And in that sermon, he draws attention to this particular passage, and he says this, and I quote, Today we know who that promised prophet is. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who speaks God's words 
perfectly. He is the one sent from God to teach us the way to God. And so all we're going to do this morning is take a few moments and walk through Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. We're going to see exactly what it is that God says about this prophet, what it is that God wants us to understand about this prophet. And in the process, I hope that we can raise and answer three questions. One, what is the purpose of the prophets? Secondly, how do we recognize the true prophet from the false prophet? And then thirdly, what should be our response in all of this? So note with me, first of all, three ideas to be shared this morning. Note, first of all, in verses 15 through 17, God raises up his prophets and we should listen to them. Verse 15, the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, will raise up for you a prophet like me. It is to him you shall listen. Francis Schaeffer was fond of pointing out that our God is a talking God. He is there. And he is not silent. And the fact is, the Bible is consistent in its affirmation that we know God because God takes the initiative on our own. We could have never discovered God. We could have never found God. We would have no idea what our God is like. But our God in grace, he takes the initiative. And yet there's a real challenge because he is a great and awesome God. As Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, he is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he is faithful to a thousand generations because he is this kind of great and awesome God. We, we cannot know him exhaustively, but we can know him truly and we can know him genuinely. And we can know him because he has chosen to speak to us. And one means whereby he does this is he speaks to us through his prophets in our context, if you like, through his preachers, through his divinely called men and women. You see, prophets were gifted by God both as foretellers, thus saith the Lord, and also sometimes as fortune or future tellers. This is what God will bring to pass. And so as we look at this text, Moses highlights two aspects about these prophets that causes us to listen to them and also to heed carefully what they say. He notes, first of all, that they do speak at God's initiation or God's initiative. The Lord your God, he will raise up for you a prophet like me. Interestingly, Abraham was called a prophet back in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 7. Later, the sister of Moses, Miriam, in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 20 was called a prophetess. So uh, the calling to be a prophet, a prophetess, is not gender specific. God may call a man, God may call a woman to fulfill this prophetic office. Literally, it is the Hebrew word, nabi, which means uh, one who is called by a God. And in our context, one who is called by God. And so it's the kind of office that no one takes to themselves. The fact of the matter is, you are here today because God called you. It wasn't your idea uh, just on a whim to come to seminary or to come to the college at Southeastern. No, you are here because God called you here. You're here because God took the initiative in your life, not only to save you, 
But God also took the initiative to call you that you might fulfill His purpose and plan in your life. It is fully and completely at the initiative of God. Further, these prophets are said in this text to be one like Moses. And secondly, they come from among the Hebrews themselves. I will call one from among you from your brothers. In other words, as Moses was one of their own faithful prophets that would follow him, would also come from amidst them as well. And because these prophets were called by God, the people would listen, or at least they were supposed to listen. And again, for those of us that teach the Bible, never get discouraged that when you teach and preach God's Word faithfully, some are going to say no. Some are going to reject you. Some are not going to give you a listening ear. It has always been that way, and tragically, it will always be that way. By the way, they ultimately don't give an account to you. What does it say there in verse 20? I myself, verse 19, I myself will require it of them. So ultimately, our listening to the prophet and our obeying what the prophet says is giving an account not to the prophet so much as it is ultimately giving an account to God. And of course, ultimately, the prophet of prophets, the Lord Jesus, would come on the scene. I will raise up a prophet like me from among you. And climactically, we see this being fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in this context about his own ministry from John chapter 8 and verse 28. Quote, when you have lifted up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. He spoke as do all true prophets, only at the initiative of God. How does this relate to you and to me today? When we have been called by God, we've been called to a very specific task and a very particular assignment, and that is to proclaim uh, confidently, to proclaim clearly and yes to proclaim boldly the word that God has given us in our context it means you are to be a text driven teacher and preacher of God's word you're to rightly handle his infallible and inerrant word that has been deposited for us in the 66 books of the Bible and understand this apart from this book and this word you have no word there's no reason for anyone to pay attention to anything that you say I will often say to, to my students, and I know I probably offend them at first, but I hope they finally get what I'm saying. I will say, you know what, to be honest with you, I don't give a rip what you think. In fact, I don't even give a rip about what I think. I don't even agree with me all the time. What matters is what does God say? And apart from His revealed Word, we have nothing to say. Haddon Robinson is absolutely right when he says, when they, the preachers, fail to preach the Scriptures, they abandon their authority. No longer do they confront their hearers with a word from God. Indeed, all they bring is another word from man, a word lacking divine authority, a word lacking divine power, and word a word lacking divine substance. No, the prophet brings God's word and he speaks at God's Initiative, But also, he also speaks as God's mediator. We see this in verse 16 and verse 17. These verses take us back, by the way, to uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 through 28. 
And also you find a parallel in Exodus chapter 20, especially beginning with verse 19. There God revealed Himself to the people in the assembly with the giving of the law through Moses. And the Bible says the people were terrified by the glory and the greatness of Yahweh, by His voice and the fire out of which He spoke. And so they were overwhelmed. They were blown away. They were terrified. They, we, we can't handle this. In fact, here it says very clearly in the text, they asked God to intervene, verse 16, lest we die. And God actually responded quite positively to their request for a mediator, for someone to intervene. In fact, he says in verse 17 here and back in chapter 5, verse 28, they are right in what they have spoken. But also take note of what he said in chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. And so God gave Moses and God gives his prophets a mediatorial role where we intercede in a sense between God and the people that we preach and that we teach. Of course, the Bible teaches us, does it not? that there's also a climactic mediator as well. Paul said it so well in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. There is one ultimate and climactic mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And of course, when you begin to unfold this portrait again of our magnificent Savior, we discover not only is He God's prophet, He is also God's priest. The book of Hebrews is basically dedicated to that wonderful theme. Furthermore, picking up on the idea of God's voice and seeing God through Christ, we can now hear God's voice and not die in Christ. We can see God's face and not die. He is indeed the Word, God Himself, who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, we looked at His glory, and we did not die, but we looked at His glory, seeing the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. Who could have ever imagined that God's great prophet would also be God's Son as well? And indeed, Moses promises the people that God will raise up other prophets as the nations needed them. And ultimately, he would raise up his climactic prophet in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God raises up his prophets, and we should listen to them. But now, secondly, verses 18 and 19, God speaks through his prophets, and we should obey them. Bible scholars have often noted that there are a number of significant parallels between the life of Moses and also the life of, of Jesus. In fact, uh, the Gospel of Matthew clearly is portraying Jesus as the greater Moses, the greatest of all the lawgivers. But if you work your way through the New Testament, comparing it to the Old, you find some magnificent uh, parallels between the two. In fact, Samuel Schultz, uh, in his uh, work, says it like this. In the New Testament era, Jesus was recognized as fulfilling the prediction by Moses. He was like Moses in numerous ways. For example, he was spared in infancy. He renounced a royal court. He had compassion for the people. He made intercession for the people. He spoke with God face to face. He was the mediator of a covenant. In fact, the greatest revelation of the Old Testament era came through Moses. This revelation was only surpassed in the coming of Christ, who not only revealed God's message, but provided salvation through His death. 
And so God speaks through His prophets and we should obey them. He notes, first of all, in verse 18, we obey them because God gives the prophets the words they are to proclaim. Verse 18 is almost identical to verse 15. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. Okay, so far so good. But then note the addition. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. In other words, the prophet who follows in the tradition of Moses, the preachers who follow in the tradition of the great preachers of the Bible, we have a very precise message, God's Word, and we have a comprehensive message, all that I command. I have often said uh, in teaching theology that if I were to provide the simplest uh, explanation or definition of what I believe the Bible is, I, I think the Bible can be described this way. The Bible is the Word of God written in the words of men. That is what the Bible is. It is the Word of God written in the words of men. And the preacher, the prophet, he is as a man to bring the words of men, but words of men that have their authority and their grounding and their source in the very Word of God. In other words, we are to be, if you like, a mouthpiece for God. He's speaking, speaking exactly and speaking precisely all that God commands him to speak. God says, I will put my words in his mouth. It is the Lord who commissions us. It is the Lord who sends us. And it is the Lord who gives us exactly the message that we are to preach. Brothers and sisters, those are solemn and weighty words for those of us called to teach the Bible. And I don't care if you're teaching preschoolers, children, Teenagers, young adults, median-age adults, old adults, it does not matter. I don't care if you're speaking to 5, 50, 500, or 5,000. You have a great and weighty assignment when you open up this book and you represent God to those boys and girls, to those men and women that you teach week in and week out. Raymond Brown says it so well, the preacher's task is not to confront the congregation with his own ideas, but with the authoritative word of God. God then gives the prophets the word to proclaim, and it is always to be his word, never their word. Again, how desperately we need that in this day and age. Those of you that are called to be pastors, I, I plead with you, don't you ever even one time step into this pulpit without this book in front of you. Don't you dare even step into the pulpit with the book in front of you, but having the book closed. Fact of the matter is, at that point, if your people had any sense, they'd get up and walk out because you're not going to say anything they need to hear. They can get that from a newspaper. They can get that from a wagging head on cable television or satellite dish. They can go to the Internet. They can find all sorts of people who have all sorts of opinions. And by the way, many of them are far smarter than you and me. The fact of the matter is, you ought to be smart enough to preach only the Bible. And I hope you're too smart to preach anything and teach anything but the Bible. And therefore, God speaks through His prophets and we should obey them because God gives them the words to proclaim. But then also, God expects His people then to respond. Look at verse 19. And whoever will not listen to my words. Isn't it interesting? He puts it in the negative. Is it also interesting that God acknowledges there are going to be people who will not listen? Whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, 
I myself, note the intensive, I myself will require it of him. You see, the prophet is the Lord's mouthpiece. And because he is the Lord's mouthpiece, he has divine authority that demands our radical attention. And it also demands our radical obedience. Again, verse 19 is both honest in its assessment and ominous in what it says will happen for those who will not listen to God's word. The prophet says, I speak in God's name. They say, we won't hear it. And God says, I will require it of them. He's picking back up, by the way, on the thoughts that you find back in chapter 5 and verse 29. The people will not always fear the Lord and keep all of His commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. God knew that Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 would not always be true in their lives. They would not always love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all of their might. And what will God do with those who hear His Word and reject His Word? I will require it of him. Yesterday in my class, I was talking to our hermeneutics uh, class about the issue of revelation, about how God has revealed himself both uh, in general revelation through nature and conscience, and also how he's revealed himself in special revelation through uh, Jesus, the living word, and the Bible, the written word. And I then raised the question, is it possible, according to the Bible, for someone to be saved through natural revelation? And I said, the Bible's very clear, no. Creation and conscience is enough to condemn you. It is not enough to save you. And then I raised the issue. So people in uh, Varanasi who've never heard the name of Jesus, they will die and go to hell because they did not believe the gospel. No. They will die and go to hell because they rejected the revelation of God that they had in creation and in conscience. And I then gave them a very simple but very important theological principle that all of us ought to bury deep within our hearts. And that principle is simply this. Revelation brings responsibility. The more you know, the greater is your accountability. So let me be personal for just a moment. Do you realize it's dangerous for you to be here today? It's extremely dangerous if you came here with no intention of hearing and then if hearing God's Word, obeying, it'd be better for you to have stayed home. In fact, it'd be better if you were not here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and the College at Southeastern. It'd be much better for you if you have no intention of obeying this book. It'd be much better for you just to put your fingers in your ears and never listen to it again because the more you know, the greater will be your accountability when you stand before God. And God is very clear in His Word. I will require it of them. So God speaks through His prophets and we should obey them. Finally, in verses 20 through 22, God validates His prophets and we should trust them. When God raises up His prophets and puts His Word in their mouths, we can also be certain that Satan will raise up his prophets and put his words in their mouth. Over and over and over, the Bible warns us about the presence and the teachings of false prophets. Moses does it here and has done it earlier in chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Jesus speaks of false prophets in uh, Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew 24. Paul speaks of false prophets in 1 Timothy 4. Peter speaks of false prophets in 2 Peter 2. Jude speaks of false prophets. John speaks of false prophets in 1 John 2, 1 John 4, uh, 2 John. He also speaks of false prophets in Revelation 13 and Revelation 19. So now and to the end of the age, just, just mark it down and know that it's going on. 
Satan has his, his missionaries. And Satan has his false prophets who oppose the one true and living God and deceive with counterfeit messages and counterfeit lies that deceive those who do not exercise carefully spiritual discernment. Jesus said, there will be wolves who come in sheep's clothing. Matthew 7, verse 15. And so the question becomes, how can we then uh, spot, how can we detect, how can we recognize when these false prophets are on the scene. Well, first of all, two tests are given in this text. I'll expand it just a little from the rest of God's Word. First of all, false prophets speak lies for other gods. Moses warns us that self-proclaimed prophets may come on the scene and they claim to speak for God. However, he uses the word presume presumptuously twice in this text. And he says they, they come presumptuously making claims to speak in the Lord's name, but don't be deceived by their appearance. Uh, don't be deceived by whether or not they're on the, the radio or, or television or whether they have a, a great iPod uh, 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 fan club, fan base that, that follows them and, and speaks their praises. He said, no, 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 be careful because there are those who will come that will speak a command that I have not given them to speak. And so he says, first of all, you can recognize them because they speak lies on behalf of other gods. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the names of other gods. And so he says, first of all, take stock of, of whom they are speaking. Take stock of the fact, do they lead our people toward the world of idolatry? And false gods are not just um, totem poles or, or idols that have been shaped over there in some far uh, eastern culture. They're idols that predominate here in our own country that our people get deceived by. And they buy into the prophetic messages that they find on the airways and through the thing called the Internet. Be very careful that you're warning them that these prophets are very smart, they're very seductive, that they seldom come in a way that you immediately recognize them. If they did, they'd not be a problem, would they? If we saw them that quickly, Moses, Jesus, Paul, Peter, John would not have to warn us about them. Very specifically, he says in verse 22, they make predictions in the name of the Lord of future events that do not come true. In fact, he calls it, look at it there in verse 22, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, verse 22, and no matter how powerful the personality or compelling the orator, don't be afraid of him. I get emails all the time, probably like you do, from people who say, God has given me a word for you. I don't worry about that. I will often look at what they have to say, and bottom line, I don't give a rip who they are. It matters whether what they say matches up with God's word. You're going to have people throughout your life, if you're not careful, say, you know, I just believe God is leading me to tell you. I, I don't know how many pastor friends I've got that have had people come to them uh, that have said, you know, I believe God's uh, leading me to tell you it's time for you to move on. Or for some of you, you know, God's leading me to tell you that uh, he really hasn't called you to the international mission field, but he's called you to stay here. And sometimes those false prophets are your own parents. No. They speak presumptuously, they try to bully, they try to intimidate, 
Moses says, no, 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 just, just make sure that what they say uh, doesn't lead you to begin to follow after a false god, an idol, your own comfort, your own convenient situation. Those are idols that are easily seductive for you and me. But then he says, the, the true prophet speaks for the one true God, verse 21 and verse 22, that they want to know. He, he's assuming that they actually want to know what the real God says. And if you say in your heart that there's a sincerity there, uh, if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? And then he gives them a further test about the ability to speak of the future with uh, predictive accuracy. Donna Ridge, in a work on the Old Testament prophet, says there were four tests of a prophet. They really apply pretty well to you and me as well. Number one, do their predictions come true? Jeremiah 28, 9. Number two, does the prophet have a divine commission from God? Jeremiah 29, 9. Thirdly, and this is the most crucial one for our context, are the prophecies consistent with the Scriptures? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, and Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and verse 19. And fourthly, do the people benefit spiritually from the prophet's ministry? Jeremiah 23, 13 and 14, verse 32, and 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. In many ways, guys, these words simply expand and echo what Moses has just written here in this text. If you say in your heart, how may we know? And again, the bottom line is truth. Truth as in that context revealed by the prophet. Truth in our day and age as revealed through God's infallible and inerrant word. In John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus said this. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. The author of Hebrews would add long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Who would have imagined that God's great prophet would also be God's son, not just a servant in God's house, but actually the son over God's house, according to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He's one of my spiritual heroes. He is, for many in this room, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, the Metropolitan Tabernacle there in London. And in commenting on this text, he helps us understand, as I close, very well what it is that God wants us to know. And having come to understand what God has said and what God has spoken, what it is, that God wants us to do. Listen very carefully. These are very profound words. It's not very long. The Lord knew that man would always be unable to hear his maker's voice, and he therefore determined not only to speak by Moses, but to speak by his servants, the prophets, raising up here one and there another. And then he determined as the consummation of his condescending mercy. I love that. His condescending mercy that the last he would put all the words he had to say to man into one heart, and that word should be spoken by one mouth to men furnishing a full, complete, and unchangeable revelation of himself to the human race. This he resolved to give by one of whom Moses had learned something when the Lord said to him in the words of our text, I will raise up for them a prophet from among you, 
and you will hear him, for I will put my words in his mouth. We now know assuredly that our Lord Jesus Christ is that prophet like unto Moses by whom in these last days he has spoken unto us. Hear then the voice of God by this greatest of all prophets, brothers and sisters. I beseech you, don't reject the message which Jesus brings, seeing it is not his own message, but the sure message of God. Trifle not with a single word which Jesus speaks, for it is the word of the Eternal One. Despise not one single deed which he did, our precept which he commanded, our blessing which he brought. For upon all these things there is simply this, the stamp of deity. God has spoken. Let us listen. And let us also make sure that we obey. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the prophet who is like and greater than Moses our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that he fulfills all the prophetic promises that were unfolding for us in the Old Testament history and revelation. Yes, he is our prophet. Yes, he is our priest. In fact, he is a king priest, and he is also our great king. He is your suffering servant. He is the son of man. He is the one said to Israel, upon him whom you pierced, you will look, and you will weep as for an only son. Thank you, dear God, that in your grace and mercy and goodness, you sent us a prophet who is also your son, who is the perfect, complete, and climactic revelation of God to man. And thank you so much, Lord, that that revelation concerning the Lord Jesus, both in the Old and the New Testament, has on it the stamp of deity. Therefore, because prophets and writers of Scripture wrote that which you inspired them to write, that which you guided them to write, Lord, we can give to this book our complete and total allegiance as the infallible and inerrant Word of God. You have spoken. Help us to listen. Help us to obey. That in all things we might bring great glory for generation after generation after generation to our God, who is indeed great and greatly to be praised. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.